Hello, everybody, and welcome to What's the Story podcast. This is WTS 301. Danny, how long are we going to... Where are we going to get to? A thousand? Who knows, man? Who knows? What are your expectations? I, I don't live Just life keep going until where OAP is. The only expectations I have, Graham, is that Cadbury's uh, continue to produce these bad boys at Christmas. Puds? Are they any Un- use? Unreal, these little balls of chocolatey goodness. Unreal, man. OMG. Unreal. So, so long as Cadbury's keep producing these uh, delicious dairy milk chocolate balls with a truffle centre and hazelnut pieces with Rice Krispies in them, I'll be able to Rice Krispies in them? They're fucking, I tell you what, Cadbury's have, if anybody from Cadbury's is listening, hey. Are they new or have they been out before? The, uh, I don't know how long they're out. Last Christmas was the first time that I sampled the goods. Um, and yeah, this Christmas when I saw them again, I was like, I remember having one of them last year. It was sensational. I'm going to get myself a little pack of them. I must check them out the weekend. Right, so are you yeah. saying as long as they're going, the, the podcast will go? All, all, the only expectation I have in life is that Cadbury's keep producing them. No you sound like a politician. Are you? Are you? Is this the the slow breakup of the no, pod? Absolutely not, Graham. We'll keep going. Like, but what I'm saying, <laughs> I don't have an expectation towards a number, right? Like, we'll just keep going. There's no. I've got a no segue here. I've got to say, I'm delighted here. I've got a segue here. Go whilst it. we're waiting around and staying around, um, as we record this evening, uh, the FEI have announced that Stephen Kenny's contract will not be renewed, so he will not be staying around oh, as Lord the Rest Ireland senior team manager. Um, uh, I mean, like, I mean, hard, it's hardly a shock. It's hardly a shock. I think, I think the next manager has a better, um, yeah. a better shape of a squad, the, thanks right. to Stephen. I mean, I when gone. Stephen took over, the average age, I think, was 30, 31. And now it's probably about 23, 22, 23, 24, maybe. So I think he's left it in a better shape. But yep. ultimately, results weren't there. That's it. When you look at the results against Ukraine, Armenia, home and away to, to Greece. Yeah. I mean, I wanted it to work out. I really did. I, I was think a Stephen Kelly supporter. I think everyone um, did. But um, it's no surprise. But I would. Look, it. I would thank him for his. I, I was going to say, I think the reality here is that Stephen was always going to be a transient manager. Uh, yeah. He was never going to be long term. And I think his role will only be appreciated in the fullness of time. And what I mean by that is success didn't come across his doorstep. However, what he has done ultimately leaves Irish football in a better place and will hopefully I think he has be, as well will hopefully be a, a key part of success in the next decade mm. and I think when Ireland get to their next big tournament and if they happen to go on a good run it will be with Kenny's kids it will be with the guys that Kenny has brought through and has been influential in terms of connecting the dots of the underage system and all that kind of thing yeah um, so results, absolutely, they, they weren't good enough, and that's a pity. You know, Steve, Stephen Kenny seems like a, a nice guy more than anything, um, but just performance on the pitch and results ultimately weren't good enough. But the work he's done, I, I, I genuinely do believe in the fullness of time will be remembered and appreciated. I agree. And you're kind of looking like, I mean, you're kind of 
looking around at the favourites for to take over, and you're looking at the likes of Neil Lennon and Deep Sam Allardyce, and, and, yeah. um, and I mean, the FEI have they have the director of football, Mark Cannon, and they have the underage teams, 21s, 19s, 17s, 15s, they all have them playing the same style of football. So none of those managers uh, that have been mentioned so far or would-be managers, they they don't inspire me to apply the same style of football that the FEI want to, to bring yeah. in. You know, they don't... Will someone ask me... Um, are we just better off going back to long ball football? You know, I don't think the senior team should be playing long ball football if the underage teams are playing from the back. Do you know that so, way? Right. So, but I don't like playing from the back. <laughs> Look, right. Football evolves and different styles come along and different styles go away. And you know what I mean? Like, not every team can play from the back. Look at, Look at Manchester United Football Club, and when they try to play from the back, it, it's fucking horrific, right? Probably they, not a good example because they're absolutely a shit show at the moment. They, they are absolutely a shit show, but the the Irish football team aren't exactly filled with talent, <laughs> so it's not a million miles <laughs> off in terms of comparison at level. Right? Fair enough, yeah, yeah. Um, but I I think the, the the reality here is right, and it's been the age old argument that with with the Irish national team, and it's that kind of thing of like with limited resources and limited talent results you, you take what you can get with whatever way you get them right there has been a bit of a move to try and make the football more attractive which i think people will have a certain amount of patience for and a certain willingness but this, this stephen kenny experiment has shown that even with the greatest will in the world and even with people insisting that the style of football is what they want to see the style of football when you're drawing one all with fucking new, new zealand at home yeah, it means absolutely fuck all because you want the result. The story, yeah, of football... and like I, I have been said that as well. When we played the Dutch at home, first thirty-five minutes, um, was probably it was it was up there one of the best phases mm. in his three years. Um, yeah. Now, okay. what happened there was Kuman sussed it out, and he was more tactically inept to yeah. make the changes to nullify us and that's what happened there and yeah, like, so I, I just thought in terms of the new a, a new manager a new regime who comes in i mean the the tar, the, the paddy power's favorite so to speak i mean we have to we have to remember the fbi are bankrupt um, and <laughs> currently the government are currently stalling <laughs> the, the 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 government are, are currently stalling uh money to them because of the memorandum of understanding um, that the FEI have to adhere to. Um, and, yeah, and big Johnny getting more money than he should have. Exactly. A bigger and which is, which is absolutely crazy when you're trying to get, you're trying to shrug off the Delaney era of the regime, the current regime. And yeah. there's elements of that where they are doing well, I believe. Um, a couple of appointments like Mark Hannum, um, Will Clark. Um, those type of appointments who yeah, are, like, are, you know, they're, 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 those type of appointments are positive mm -hmm. um, to shrug off away from 
the previous regime. Right. Um, and it's just, I don't know, like the, the Jonathan Hill development recently, it was just a big letdown. I was like, oh my God, I wanted to get behind this. And now it's, this is just a whole big letdown. So, I mean, the point I'm getting to is that we've no money to pay a, 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 a household name, so to speak. Yeah. Martin O'Neill, Roy Keane were funded by Dennis O'Brien. Trapattoni was funded by Dennis O'Brien. We can't do that anymore. Uh, it's reported that uh, Stephen Kenny was on 500 grand, 600 grand a year. Right. Who's going to accept that level of money? Now, I have seen in the press, you know, a lot of former internationals, Irish former internationals seem to, to be touting for Lee Carsley to take over. Uh, and and they have said in, in dispatches that they think because he's on a rolling contract with the England under-21s that he would drop that and accept the 600k per year for an international team. So, yeah, we've a bankrupt association. Who's going to be the next manager to accept under one, one, one million a year? Like? Gus Poyet. Are you saying that seriously or <laughs> no, no, because it's funny because we've had lots of conversations about Manchester United in the yeah. last 80 months and you weren't at all a fan of the Eric Ten Hag appointment and you're still not. And you're probably <laughs> at this stage, probably a bit vindicated by it or are you? vindicated? Ah, look, by I, it? look, I mean, as long, as long as he's at the club, there's a chance for me to be wrong. You know what I mean? Of and course. Yeah. So like, and it's one of those things where I mean, like the the only way I'll be right is ultimately when he's gone, because you know. But like, I don't, like it's one of those things where I don't want to be right. You know what I mean, I'd of rather course, see you're a Manchester United fan. Yeah, like I'd rather. Who did you want? To, who did you want instead of him at the time? I I just think Manchester United need to change their, their name to Atletico Madrid and get Diego Simeone on board, <laughs> basically, um, and relocate to Madrid. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like uh, I actually experienced Atletico Madrid versus Villarreal recently live in the flesh, and it, it was did, a yeah. brilliant experience. Three one they won. Um, but yeah, like I mean, I I, I don't know. Look, <laughs> the reality I think for Ireland is, as you said, like it's bankrupt. It's not exactly the most attractive job in football, anyway. Uh, I just, I'm not sure. Um, I think it is an attractive job. I uh, yeah, but I think that's just the 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 fucking York Graf or Ireland stuff in general. Mero, do you know what I mean? But maybe no, but I think it's Great, a, I think Chernobyl could have happened in Wicklow, when you'd still be talking about people wanting to come to the Garden of Ireland. Like, do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> like like you, you sometimes have the green goggles on a little bit too much, man. The reality is, <laughs> we're 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 a less than mediocre football. Set up and a football nation. I think and for an out of have, work manager, it's an attractive job. Well, I mean, uh, is it like <laughs> you know, I like so. I, I don't know, man. Realistically, you're talking like success is qualifying for a major tournament, and even with it being almost impossible to get knocked out of the qualifiers for the Euros these days, we still managed to fuck that. Like, uh, I were we ever I, getting out of this group though? Well, I mean, we didn't, so... Yeah, but Greece are actually a better team than us. Yeah, but I mean... Champions League players, that... we don't have any Champions League players like we yeah, used to. No, and and that's that's the point. Like, So who's going to want to mm. manage this crop of players? Like, I get, like, in one sense, I'm saying, you know, Ireland is better for the talent that Kenny has brought through, and I genuinely do believe that because, you know, but I still think we're four to five years away from seeing the true benefit of uh, 
we probably are going to miss out on at least one more World Cup cycle. Um, I think the next round is going to win the World Cup with us. Yeah, I think that's because you're fucking high as a draft balls, Grant. I'm only messing. Uh, I'm missing the Ross Amber too much. He'll often say, uh, we're going to beat Holland tonight 6-0. We're going to win the next three World Cups with the manager. And it's like, Ross, I don't need this right now. Thank you. Anyway, Dan, that was a it was a good conversation. We didn't get anywhere. We don't know who's going to take over. I don't have any specific um, front runner. I don't know who I want the, to be the manager. I, I um, don't either. I don't either, to be honest with you. I do know a Manchester United football club. I'd either want Diego Simeone or Paolo Fonseca. They're the two that I'd want. One of those two. That's who you wanted before Ten Hag got it. Uh, I, I think... I, I know Simeone realistically has never... He'll have to be taken out at Atletico in a fucking box. But yeah. I, I, I think Fonseca and what he's doing in France is fucking very interesting. And very. Good. How are you feeling about the takeover at Manchester United? I'm not. You're not. I'm not like you're not motivated by it at all. It's a, it's a fucking saga, like, and it just encapsulates everything that is wrong with uh with, with football and everything at the moment. So yeah, I don't know. Can we get Catuso for the Ireland job? Is that can we? I just sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. I just want to hear that over and over again, you know. Um, <laughs> it's like a it's like a soap drama, yeah. a serial drama. Indeed, indeed. I just yeah. Look, I I, I don't know. The, the takeover at United is a load of shit. It's like it's not even a full on thing, is it? It's twenty five percent or something. Like yeah, it's a bit of a you know. It, it's a, a, really. a, a cop-out, really, isn't it? I think. You Would know, you have wanted the, the state of Qatar to take over? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Why not? I mean, everybody else is doing it. Like, yeah, like, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like, we, we had Kareem Zidane on the podcast a little while ago talking about the problems with, you know, sports brand, washing. brand manipulation, sports washing, all those things. And, uh, you know, questionable regimes and the the ability of those regimes to use sport in a way that manipulates people into thinking that maybe that world ain't so bad maybe they ain't bad people <laughs> and all that kind of but there is like I mean <laughs> like you and I aren't going to change it so me sitting here on my chair in Port Leash saying oh you know the Qataris take over Manchester United I'll what knock out Old Trafford again for 10 years I haven't gone since Roy Keane was manager of Sunderland so <laughs> like what fucking difference <laughs> to make to me like you know what I mean in fact, actually, sitting on your lo- lovely sofa. This is it. Actually, the the, the last time I was in Old Trafford was Roy Keane had just stepped down as the manager of Sunderland because I was going to United right. Sunderland. So it was uh, Ricky Sprazier, was it, that took over him, I think? Jesus, I'm having a clue. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. So was that 2007, 2006, maybe? Maybe, yeah. That's that's how long it's been since I was in Old Trafford. And as a he player, retired. He retired in 2006, didn't he, or 2005? Oh, jeez, maybe it was 2018. Maybe I'm not. My memory isn't as good as I thought. I thought I was doing well pulling Ricky fucking sprays out of nowhere there. I, you know I, mean? I can't even remember him. Uh, yeah, I'm almost certain he took over from Keane at some Yeah, I'm not doubting you. Yeah, a couple of Because I haven't a clue. Uh, anyway, long and short, anyway. I believe Old Trafford is exactly as it was back then as well. And fuck all has been done to improve it. Yeah, the Qataris coming in might actually put a new roof on it, which would be a start. I don't fucking know. Yeah, because like, it's leaking. Awful. Just the the club is shambolic. It just uh, root and branch changes are needed in there, from players to fucking to the board members to everything else. So big time. Yeah. Anyway, anyway we we conducted earlier on a great interview uh, with our next guest, 
who is an Irish actor, a playwright, writer, and he's a good guy. And he wrote and starred in a new show that uh, premiered last Tuesday evening uh, on TG Car, and it'll be on TG Car for the next six weeks, Northern Lights. We were delighted to be joined by Stephen Jones. Joining us now this week is the wonderful Irish writer, actor, playwright, singer, poet, and all all round good guy, Stephen Jones. How are you? Well, Graham, that was a lovely introduction. Never, never been called half of those things before, but I'm, I'm taking it. But that, that's a jar, though. Well, technically, I suppose it is true now, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, I'll be doing a bit of a bit of singing and a bit of poetry. I've been incorporating a bit of singing and poetry into my to my next gig. So, yeah, it's true. Just what's what's the story our... with your next gig there on December seventeenth in the Civic? That's right. Look at that. I love this. We're getting straight into a plug. Straight in. Straight in. <laughs> we made Baz straight in. Be... No kissing. Well, what it is is that I've been writing for the theatre for ages, and I'm sure we get talking about what I've written for the screen uh, in a yeah. bit. But um, I'm doing a show in the Civic where uh, it's called The World As I Knew It. And the reason it's called that is because I went to Gothenburg in Sweden a few years ago, just on my own, a random trip. It was sort of like one of my nerdy little hobbies is finding cheap flights. And I ended up getting like a 20 hour return flight to Gothenburg. So I went over and... Uh, I got a women's Champions League game in as well, just for the. As you do. But I went to their museum of modern art, and the and there was a there was a beautiful kind of stitched, I guess you'd call it picture. I don't know how to describe it, and that was the name of it. The world as I knew it, but it was like a guy with a backpack, who was on like boards, like a stage, and then just looking out into this abyss. And I was in that real phase of my life. I just done the Camino with me backpack, and I'd spent years being a professional actor on the stage. And I just thought, "Oh my God, look at this! It's me." <laughs> so, uh, so I have the show. That's what it's called, and it's basically a collection of my non-theater writing. So, it might be little excerpt from a, a book I'm working on, some poems, some pieces that aren't quite poems, aren't quite short stories. They're just little pieces. Uh, some travel diary stuff, which is kind of has a narrative side to it, and. Uh, yeah, my oldest pal in the world. We grew up together in uh, Glenview and Tala, uh, Baz McCarthy. He was uh, a very good singer and guitar player, genius guitar player. So I said, uh, why not put some songs into it as well? It's a chance for us to kind of do something together. And uh, yeah, thematically, they're all connected. It's all about the things that inspire me to write and my writing and other people's writing and songs that I listen to when I write. And hopefully uh, it's going to be a, a communal experience. Deadly. That's class. Um, and you were compliment, complimenting me there of the intro, but I forgot to also say uh, fellow Shamrock Rovers fan. So I'll let that in now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, pretty much lifelong bar, uh, bar a couple of weeks. Because what happened was... Bar <laughs> a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, because what happened was, I, I said this on another podcast recently, but I think it's, you know, it's always worth retelling uh, some funny stuff. Like, I'm... Uh, the eldest of, of two kids, right? I have a younger brother. But my dad and my granddad and all my uncles are mad Manchester United fans. And they tried everything in their power to make me a Man United fan because I was soccer mad, right? football mad when I was a kid, and as I still am now. And uh, But I just had this streak in me, which I still have to this day, where I just want to be a contrarian no matter what. And uh, so Sound refused- like Danny. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I refused to be a United fan. And... Uh, Cut to a few years later, my dad had been going to Rovers most of his kind of life and took a break from it for a couple of years. And he was like, oh, I need to get back into going to Rovers. So he started bringing us to Rovers. 
But to be a contrarian, I was like, no, I'm not following Rovers, even though I was going to the games. So I think Pats were the champions at the time. I was like, to me, that I'm a Pats fan. But of course, once I was actually at the matches, I was like, all right, that just shut up. Don't tell anybody. I'm a Rovers <laughs> fan. Doesn't mean we've won. It doesn't mean that I'm weak willed. <laughs> I couldn't help myself, you know. It was just I was Rovers. So yeah. And uh and yeah, in the last few years then I've been kind of back going to games uh regularly. There was a, a long time where I'd only be able to go to the odd match because most of the time I'd be on stage on a Friday night. Yeah, yeah. It was hard to get to the games. And I think with, with the League of Ireland, it is about being there, you know. And I think when you're out of the loop and you're not quite there for the for you know a lot of the games and you don't get to go on away trips, you sort of you, you don't feel part of it, you know. So yeah. uh, it's been nice the last few seasons to be able to kind of you know get to a lot of away games and and most of the home games unless I'm on holidays or something comes up. So this that's, is, uh, that sounds like uh, Danny, doesn't it? What are you, is, are you going to bring up your contrarian of how you? Found your League of Ireland team, Danny? No, I was I was actually going to say that like y- your intro, Mero, was making stay sound like a modern day Renaissance man, and then you brought in the Rovers, and then I was like, well, he can't be a Renaissance man now. I mean, he's a Rovers <laughs> fan. Yeah, there's always a catch, Danny. You know, there's always a catch, isn't there? So, <laughs> uh, look, lads, enjoy your your glory hunting. You know, us real fans uh, in in bows will prop up the football. Don't worry, we'll we'll find a way of making things real while he was there. Off, you know, you know, doing what you do. I was saying, I actually came up with a good gag about Bose today. I was thinking about all the different things that go on in the world, and you know, uh, how like no matter what, when there's rivalry, or when you know, when there's rivalry involved, it doesn't matter. Uh, you'll always just toe the line of your own side or whatever it may be. So I was thinking to myself, you know, if Bose do achieve their ultimate objective. World peace. <laughs> I'll still call them. I'll still call them every name under the sun. <laughs> yeah. I just laughed in the right that's, place because the world peace bit is the gag. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. I mean, look, that's, you know, look, we're 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 uh, we're a tribe of people who care more than just about what happens uh, on a patch of grass on a Friday night. You know, that's uh, that's where we are. No, lads, you have, to, you have to cling to something. That's what we it do. is. We, we do. When after the cup final, we're clinging to fucking whatever we can, to be honest with you. So, uh, yeah. You were at it, Danny? I was at it. Yeah, I was. Uh, what did you make of it? Ah, we were shy. <laughs> like, no other way of putting it. They played shy. You know? So, so you're, you're, is that your first Bowers match? Second Bowers match. <laughs> <laughs> See, John D, he only supports them to annoy me. Even got a jersey and all. He's full character. He used to call himself the Marty Janetti of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, should be, I should have I should have fucked you through a barbershop window. What what started as something just to annoy you, and it was actually the people who listened to this podcast that suggested I support Bose, if you remember, because I was like, right, we talk with the League of Ireland so much. Give me a fucking team. <laughs> and you know, if they had suggested Rovers, I would have went to Tala with you and I would have become a part-time hooligan like the rest of you. But they didn't. They thankfully put me on a path to enlightenment, Graham. And now, <laughs> Thursday, I'm reading Shakespeare. Friday, I'm watching both. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a privileged life I'm living here. Um, the two of you have something in common, actually. The two of you have your education in UCD. Oh, yeah. 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 Jonesy, yeah. you if went and did uh, English and history. English and history degree, yeah. And I have a... A master's in creative writing. So it's a good job I'm a writer for a living, really, isn't it? Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. I mean, 
That, totally. It's one of them. After doing an arts degree, you really do need that master's. How do you like John to try and justify? Yeah. Oh, but, it's true. Uh, like even the, the thing was, I always couldn't. The, the weird thing was, I wasn't one of those people. No, no, look, no offense to anyone who was, who was like, I don't really know what I'm going to do, so I'll get yeah. an arts degree. I was kind of, I was, I'll go to UCD and get an arts degree in English and history, and that means yeah. I could be a teacher, be a writer, you know, be a journalist, be something in that realm. I kind of, I kind of had a very clear, very similar idea. train of thought, man. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I enjoyed it, but that's how I got into 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 drama and stuff. Uh, did you get into the drama at UCD? Yeah, I'd been in a writing group in Tallow Library as a teenager, and uh, the guy who kind of met it, he said, oh, you're going to UCD, join the Drama Society. And I said, well, yeah. he said, yeah, my daughter did that. She's a writer because you might write a play one day and they'd love to they'd put it on. And uh, so I did that. And then I kind of realized, oh, look, I've been making joke videos and doing voices and impressions and all that. And uh, yeah, just auditioned for a play. But uh, like the people that were I spend a lot of time with in UCD and the Drama Society were kind of most of them are actors now or like even the first play I ever did was Twelve Angry Men. I don't know if you ever seen the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Henry Fonda. And um, in that there was like of the twelve lads, I think there was I think there was six or seven who were like professional actors. Like uh, who was in the play? Ronan Raftery. You know, he was in Moon Boy and recently Obituary and Killian Scott, who was Tommy and Love Hate and two of the boys from File Arms and Hog, um, the comedy group. So there was loads of us, uh, yeah, and then we just influenced each other. So a lot Deadly. of us in UCD were just kind of writing plays and and uh, and doing plays and acting. And, and I was like, oh, people who were ahead of me and like a year or two ahead of me were like, some of them were going to drama school and some were being like, we're going to be actors. I said, like, like, for a living? They're like, yeah. I was like, oh, I didn't know that you could actually do that, you know? Um, so, yeah. That's amazing, like, isn't it? Yeah, there's and there's so many people I could list off like that uh, had come through it. Um, and uh, yeah, some went to London to act in school, and some didn't. I didn't. I went straight from college to do a film called Between the Canals, and then Between the Canals. Oh, ah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Me and Peter Coonan. He was. He'd see what happened was I'd written a play, and Peter Coonan was the lead role in the play in UCD. And this fella came to see it, and he was like, oh, "I'm doing this low budget movie," and then the film board gave gave it some money after we shot some scenes kind of for free so that, that got a hundred grand and that ended up being between the canals and then the people from love hate saw between the canals and went look it's a bit all over the shop but we love the attitude because love hate season one was getting a bit of stick for being a bit too pretty and a bit too middle class and then you watch something like between the canals now it's a bit of a jumbled mess in mm-hmm. ways but 99 percent of the people in the film aren't actors they're just people from in and around sheriff street and all the locations were spot on it just looked like proper pretty gritty dublin yeah, and uh, and I kind of went. Is that Mark O'Connor directed that? Mark O'Connor directed it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. We we've, we've talked up, to Mark a few times over the years. Yeah, I ended up in his first three movies. I think I ended up, but so it was a big part in between the canals, and then I had a kind of supporting role in King of the Travelers, and then I was oh, yeah. a small role in his in his film Stalker. Uh, oh, Stalker, Stalker was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, and I mean uh, that was only made for about fifteen grand, I think. Yeah, and then I can't remember, what was the other one that he did one with with John, um, Carbor Gangsters. Carbor Gangsters, yeah, that was, wasn't it? That was Stalker's the only one I haven't seen. It's mad, uh, Jonesy, when we kind of came familiar with each other, and obviously I knew you were very followed you before we probably met, um, followed you through our mutual friend uh, Steve Gunn, um, and it's mad because when you go back. <laughs> 
and look at your kind of CV of movies and, and TV shows and stuff, it's like, oh, yeah. Because like Love Hate, you're in Love Hate. Uh, I remember you in... Is that coming back, lads? Sorry? <laughs> Is that coming oh, yeah. back? <laughs> remember the Facebook page is going for years. Fuck's sake. Um, no, but I remember you in a lot of stuff like... Um, even the remember the media ad you were in. That's right, yeah. And you know where that was shot? hilarious, Danny. You you'll definitely remember the media ad where it was the on the red carpet, and it was kind of like, oh, I'm I'm an extra or something along those lines. Yeah, because it was meet your extras was the was the they were doing little bonuses for our customers, so that was the gag. And then yeah, I was an extra who thought he was great. He thought he was a <laughs> man. And uh, but you know we actually shot that in the Ukraine in Kiev. What? what? Yeah. Must have been some sort of tax break going on because I remember getting the ad and it was it was it was a big chunk of money at the time, and uh, my agent was like, "Throw us over your passport, there, will you?" I was like, "For what?" He goes, "Well, the ads in Kiev." I was like, "What?" I was in the Ukraine. He's like, "Yeah." I was like, "What the fuck is going on here?" Jesus. Um, so, uh, yeah. So that was uh, I spent I spent five or six days in the Ukraine. Uh, That's mental, isn't it? A most Ukrainian crew bar the DOP. One of the actors was a British guy, and uh, the girl was an Irish actress. And um, yeah, it was great. I had, I had a great time. They were like, "Give a day off tomorrow, so we're going to take you on a pub crawl tonight." And you know, uh, here's your personal assistant, and la 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 la. This, this is fucking brilliant. But um, yeah, it's mad. I've done a few. I did an ad as well. You like this one? I did an ad for. Um, three and it was like support works was the thing and it was in the euros in 2012 and it was like me shay given stephen ward and trapatoni and uh, oh, they're all it. encouraging me to ask a girl out on a date you know in my office and uh yeah so uh the ads were mad because i have one of those faces i'm like uh like an everyman type of character so yeah, yeah, yeah. very good i haven't done one in a good while but i used to get a lot of ads and they were really good money so like the thing about actors is you're never supposed to do an ad for if you do an ad for uh, meteor you shouldn't really be doing one for three yeah yeah, yeah. They don't want you because you might be recognized from that but i'm sort of one of those actors that doesn't get recognized a lot so i ended up doing ads i did ads for meteor three and vodafone over the years Jesus. no way well there's loads of other companies but uh but yeah, the, only, so, the only thing I remember about media lads were the call me messages. It feels like another lifetime ago that media <laughs> was a thing. Do you remember them fucking call me messages? That was a way of communicating. Nobody had credits. Yeah, 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 send yeah. two two call me messages for yes, one for no. On this question, you know or an IOU or something like that yeah, as well, wasn't it? Hell. Them you know you. Um, Jesus, yeah, the the old the the that that piece around kind of down the adverts and all that. Like so, because like it's we've talked to other actors in this podcast and like it's it's one of those things where you know you're in it for the love definitely but like ultimately you got to put bread on the table so is the, was there ever a party that was kind of like oh, fucking you know people don't take me seriously I'm doing these ads or whatever because I remember we thought was it John no it wasn't it wasn't John I can't remember who we spoke to before about it who they're like probably Steve was it it might have been Steve yeah who said like you know there comes a point in time where you just have to put that kind of notion to one side and just be like, I still need to get fucking paid. Like, yeah, like it depends on what, where people are at at different stages. I mean, mm-hmm. for me now, uh, if I was to do an ad, I haven't done one in quite a few years. If I was to do one, it would have to kind of, 
to be brutally honest, it would have to be a lot of money. It would have to be yeah, yeah. ridiculous to say no to. Um, and again, I, I won't go into figures now, but like one person's idea of what's a lot of money for an ad won't be my idea of what's a, or any actor's idea of what's yeah. a lot of money. Um, you probably won't be tempted with it week in Kiev either for an ad these days like you know what I mean no no because I'm I'm in a position at the moment and who knows where I'll be next year where I'm you know relatively comfortable financially so I don't need to I don't need to be doing something purely for money um, yeah yeah there was a funny story I have about an ad actually I think it was probably the last big one I did now it was only for going to be on in America so everyone in Ireland it was a whiskey ad which is always everyone always knows there the, the checkbook comes out right so everyone <laughs> And their third cousin auditioned for this ad. And I say auditioned, I had to walk into a room and they went, hey, Stephen, right, will you just pretend that you're hammering a barrel? You're a whiskey cooper, you know, making a barrel. So I just went in, you know, and I'm pretending to hammer a barrel. You know, my, it's my finest work. They went, thanks very much. <laughs> everyone in Ireland, everyone in the UK. So the storyline of this ad was going to be five characters, a master cooper, a young apprentice, and then three just coopers. And I end up getting cast as one of the coopers. And it's purely on the way I looked. Right, and kind of an older lad, a bigger guy, and then me, and uh, so the whole thing was went down to Cork to the to uh, the distillery, and we were going to do it there for a few days. And there was this director, I think it was from Belgium or France or somewhere, and he kept cutting the three of us out of all the scenes, and we were all saying to each other, "Oh, we're going to be cut out of this now, right?" Now I'm talking about, let's just say it was a figure more than thirty nine thousand euro that we were all getting, right, and. Uh, <laughs> And uh, oh, 40 grand, that's it, it was 40 grand from Amazon, right? <laughs> and, uh, the whole thing was, if it didn't appear in the ad, you'd only get your little daily fee, which probably added up to about a grand and a half or something, right? Yeah. So we're going, oh, this is a nightmare, right? So anyway, come the end of the week, we're saying to each other, the three of us, I think we're in just enough to, to get away with it, grand. And one of the lads was moving his whole family the following week to Australia. So for him, it was like winning the lottery. Jeez, right, yeah. he left Ireland. So anyway, La, la, la. a few months go by and uh, a text message comes in like a WhatsApp group or whatever that we've made from Australia right sorry to be the bearer of bad news boys just got the call there not in the ads so only getting me 1500 or whatever grant so me and the other actor he's actually in Michelle Northern Lights as well Dom I ring him we have the same agent so we're going right, get on to the agent get on to the agent see what see what the story is so I ring me agent and he answers and he knows exactly what I'm going to be asking. And he goes, before you start, he said, here's the deal. You're in it. The both of you are in it. But when I say is in it for one second, the first second of the ad, I mean one second. Once it goes two seconds, you're gone. You see the top <laughs> of your head in the background. Now, they obviously want to use the shot, but they can easily edit it out because they've edited everything else out of the ad for, of use. So they're not going to pay 40 grand a piece and I said oh well look fucking just get something you know and he was going will you just take 30 each <laughs> I better sign it in blood right now Is that <laughs> I signed it an hour ago he said you should be wearing a balaclava <laughs> but the thing about it was when I actually when I actually assessed it uh, you think about it whoever was in charge of hiring us three their budget for the three actors was 120 grand and the guy has his ad made and he spent 60. So he's, yeah. getting, a Christmas, he's getting a Christmas bonus, a big one. So it's really? a funny money story. Um, but to go back to your original thing, no, it's uh, you get to a certain point. 
money isn't the be all and end all. Mm. Um, you just have to weigh it up. And then there's other actors who go who had you know who were in a position whereby they might have big overheads. Like for example, I've no children, I've no mortgage, anything like that. So I'm like, you know, I just have to take care of. You've got myself. a bit more flexibility and freedom in terms of what you can do and what you can't. Like what you take on and. Yeah, if I had a child or a couple of kids and I had a mortgage and I had, you know things that I had you to take everything you got. Yeah, and yeah, you know might be a bit more less a kind of uh, you know I want to do this kind of artsy art house uh, avant garde play. No, I'll I'll go and do an ad and earn twenty times the money if I can. So yeah, all the people's circumstances really. You you mentioned Northern Lights there. Chat to us about that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's um it's a six part drama which uh started last week episode two aired uh this week um and where yeah. where does it air then for people who haven't yeah. it's airing on tg car tg4 but it is in english yeah. so the long story i love how you that. say that now your insta stories it is yeah. in english no because people have this the notion of it they don't realize that it does have an english language slot and it's shown a lot of hbo shows but, but basically what happened was it had been a play that was on and done quite well. And then Irish company Deadpan, who've done a lot of big shows, um, like Can't Cope, Won't Cope, and Nowhere Fast, they'd wanted to work with me as a writer for a while, and they really loved the play. And there was a couple of lads who were subsequently both left RTE. They were the head of drama and head of comedy, respectively. And they kind of met me with this company and said, ah, look, you know, we think we can develop this into a series. So I went away and thought about it and thought, how would I take this small play and, and make it into a series. Uh, but anyway, long story short, it ended up getting made. RTE ended up not involved in the final thing, but we had a lot of money from Screen Ireland. Uh, so it has to be shown on Irish TV because it's taxpayers' money, I guess. So uh, TG Carter came in. And then Lionsgate from America are one of the producers on it as well. So hopefully it'll end up on a, on a really good platform next year. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a six-part drama um, about these two strangers who meet uh, one night in town, my character sees this girl standing on Grattan Bridge from his apartment window and it's lashing rain and she's standing there for way too long than you normally would. And he goes down to check if she's okay. And long story short, she ends up coming back to his apartment and um, yeah, she kind of, they realize that she's there because her boyfriend had taken his own life from that spot months before and my character had witnessed it happen. And then you get all these, flashbacks to different moments in their life that have kind of brought them to where they're at in this moment and and they spend this weekend together on little secrets and different things get get revealed over the course of it. so it's about grief and overcoming grief and uh love and friendship and relationships and just being in dublin in your 30s and and it's kind of hopeful and cathartic and in a very irish way funny while dealing with uh heavy stuff it's it i've watched the first episode i'm i'm not I'm not going to binge it because the three episodes now are available on the TG Car player if anyone wants to watch it. But I'm going to watch it weekly because I like that tradition sometimes of watching a series weekly. But I was lucky enough you showed us uh, the preview in 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 July when we were in Iceland. And I remember being, I remember being genuine because Danny will tell you, I love Irish TV, Irish actors and um, theatre and stuff like that. And I remember being really excited just because of the production value and even when i watched the first episode like this might sound mad but you know the scene on the bridge and the rain i found that very therapeutic for some reason 
I was just really enjoying the dialogue, the scene, um, and and then the dialogue in the apartment, the flashbacks with with uh, Lloyd, your character's partner on the Camino, and it's, it's so far like the first episode. I loved, I loved it, absolutely loved it. Yeah, there's been really good feedback. I think, um, as I said, a lot of people have binged the first three episodes, um, and they're kind of regretting that now because they have to wait a couple of weeks when episode See, three. That's why I didn't do it. Yeah, when episode three airs next week, then four, five, and six will be available. But yeah, a lot of the a lot of the response has been that you know people, <clears throat> excuse me, people really felt, you know, they were they were in that room with these two characters, and I think that was the key. Once they once people kind of get the first 10, 15 minutes and figure out who Lloyd and Anya are a little bit and get comfortable with them. Then all of a sudden we open the story out and people people start to really root for them, I think. Um, what, what was the process like of, uh, um, you know, you were saying when you met with the the, the, the heads of the, the production companies where they think they thought they could, oh, we can develop this theatre show to for TV or whatever. What, was that like, was, what, because the, the the theater show was what two hours, two and a half hours long, and then you're developing oh, it down for six episodes long. So, what was that process like? Yeah, well, I mean, it's hard to go. Even the theater show was only a one act show. It was like seventy five minutes, maybe max. Right. Um. So I just thought about uh, <clears throat> like what was what was the bigger world of these two characters, the characters that they mentioned in the play. So the play takes place over a weekend, but it's all set in this one room in this one apartment. So um, what I did was I would I use that as a kind of uh, the six scenes of the play almost are like the six episodes. That's what happens in the present day in each episode. And then I just go back and the more I started to write, the more new things came about and the more interesting things and how can I get them out of the apartment? And what I decided was with the flashbacks, um, I think what a lot of people like about the flashbacks is that they're nonlinear. So just like anything, we're talking now, something I might say could trigger a memory for, for Danny about something. And that's sort of what happens in the show. It's that they're kind of emotional flashbacks. So you're getting yeah. pieces of the story that help you figure out why they're acting the way they're acting now. But there's, it gives you a lot of room for surprises and you, you think it's one thing and then it's something else. And um, so it was just, yeah, it was just a process of sitting down and spending a lot of time uh, working out, you know, what the backstory of these characters was and uh, kind of piecing it all together like a jigsaw puzzle and then kind of pulling that apart and, and rearranging it in a way that was kind of, was interesting because I wanted it to be, there's an element of mystery to it, but it's not in a heavy plot. No, absolutely. No, I was just going to say that to you. I was just going to say that to you, like the, 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 the flashback element of, of the show, of the first episode, you're kind of going, you're kind of, it, it's kind of mysterious and you're kind of going, you're kind of in your head as you're watching it. I can't wait. I can't wait to see. Like there was a scene. Um, What's the, what's the, what's the girl on the bridge's name in, in the show, her character's name? Anya. Anya. Sorry. Yeah. Jesus. Um, Anya. There's a flashback scene of Anya coming home um, from a night out. It's going back to our boyfriend's house. And they have a little bit of tiff because she's at their wake and the mother's the mother-in-law up. And I'm kind of watching it going, where's this going? And I couldn't wait to see where it was going. And then you kind of without fucking revealing that. But at the end of the episode, you're like, oh, 
fuck. That's where it's yeah, went. Yeah, That's yeah. where it's gone. Yeah, and there's loads of there's gonna be loads more little moments like that, which it's one of those things. I wanted to make sure that like when people go back and watch it, if they were to watch it all again, you know, they'd see it in a very different way uh than when you're just watching it for the first time. And are you proud um, of it? Yeah, I'm hugely proud of it because it, it took a lot of work and it's just like, you know, um I've been a theater actor and then kind of what you'd call a character actor for so long. Like I'd go from you know, playing, you know, drug dealers in Red Rock and Love Hate to Stevie Sparkles, the flamboyant wedding planner in Damo and Ivor. And I'd do a day on something on a day here and a day there. Yeah. And all of a sudden you get to write a show and get to be the lead actor. And, and uh, the thing was, there were so many talented people working on it and that you're kind of one fear you have is that it's going to be changed and you'll have a show at the end of it that you won't even recognize but thankfully it's the show that I wanted to make. And, and it, it's even better because of the talents of like our DOP Maxime who shot it and just makes it look amazing. Our directors, the actors. So, uh, yeah, the as fake I said, rain. Someone, the fake rain, the rain machines on Capel Street and Grattan bridge. Yeah. Incredible night <laughs> film. And, that one. and we got all the locations, like just small things like I see, uh, like obviously the listeners are only hearing the audio, but like in, I see a frame in, in the background there in your house, Meryl, with the yeah. mazers and the demos, love yourself today. Like we've we've Mazer done the artwork for the credits. We've Hosier singing the song at the start. We have Grattan Bridge because this was the origin story. This goes back twelve years. I moved out home for the first time when I was twenty six to Ormond Quay, and I saw a person jump into the Liffey from Grattan Bridge, which was very strange because I never associated the Liffey as a spot where people would do that. But um. And uh, I had this kind of image of these two people there chatting and who were they for years in my mind. So we ended up getting an apartment hell. on the same key. A, a, a couple of doors down from where I lived is where we shot Lloyd's apartment. We built an apartment in there above a tattoo parlor. Uh, so when you, in, in the episode, it's a subconscious thing, but when you're watching episode one or any of the episodes in Lloyd's apartment, you're watching buses go by. You can see the bridge. You can see the river. It's a character in the in the in the story in those scenes, um, yeah. So we just all these little things that were really complicated for locations because of where it was shot, they managed to pull off, and all these little details add up to build it. So as I said to somebody, you know, if the only people that liked it were me and my mom and dad, uh, it would be fine because I'm I'm happy with it, you know. And you'll always have it, like you know, and and. I mean, it is. I I would urge anyone to watch. I'm not being biased or whatever, but in terms of Irish film, Irish TV, and stuff, it's production wise. I don't think you're going to get better. Uh, it's funny there you mentioned about uh, prior to this, you know, you being a character actor, and I said to you before, even with when you played uh, Bobby in Dublin Old School, and oh, yeah. I remember what I loved Dublin Old School, the theater show, and I remember having two kind of feelings of when it was uh, brought to to the big screen, I was thinking, how the fuck are they going to do this? Like, two-man show developed into a movie. And and whilst I did enjoy it, but I, I remember there's scenes with yourself in it where you want, uh, you want more of Bobby. You want more. You want more of Bobby and the friends. You want to see where their lives are. Or, do you know what I mean? Like that... My mind does wander sometimes on, on shows 
where the supporting crew I find sometimes really interesting and, and wanting to know more about them. Um, I was watching Flora and Son, which I found very, Brilliant. very good. Yeah, I watched it on that. Sunday and you popped up as the therapist. Now you told me you were going to be the therapist. But again, um, I wanted to know more about the therapist. I wanted to know more about um the therapist's little the 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 young lads. There was a uh, um Max, isn't it Max? Florence one son, yeah. the son was Max, wasn't it? I wanted to know more. Well, Max we knew about, but the other uh convicts, so to speak, are the kids in, in, in locked up. I wanted to know more about them. Like, can we get can we do that? Can we get more about Bobby? Can we get more about the therapist? Do we have spin-offs? Do you want to write some spin-offs there? Yeah, it's always a thing. It's, it's such a delicate balance with uh, with supporting roles because <clears throat> what happens is you want to make them interesting, but then again, you, you're you trying to keep your audience focused on your lead characters, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and Dublin Old School, I think, was a little bit trickier in terms of adaptation than my one for a couple of reasons. One, I have six hours of TV. They only have an hour and a half, really, of film. And my dialogue in the play was very naturalistic anyway and could nearly be directly translated into screen if you wanted to pare down a little bit, whereas Emmett's is heightened and very theatrical and sort of some of some of that material is just for the theatre. That's just its medium and it's hard to yeah. get well, it. The poetry and slam element remember, of it as well. I remember we filmed the scene, me and Emmett walking up uh, Francis Street being followed by a load of kids and we were sort of rapping it and it was very surreal and you're not realistic but in the in the way that the film was put together it just didn't fit and that's just sometimes that happens so some of those elements that were really enjoyable in the play were maybe lost a little bit and yeah like that you know uh, the supporting characters there's some really good actors in there and yeah you want to know more but they've only so much time and it's like you know what's the story you're trying to tell so it's weird like even with the therapist and Flora and so on we did we did a great afternoon filming that and it was it was a bigger scene, but of course sometimes they get into an edit room and they go, look you know can this really do we can we really afford seven minutes here when it can be, you know one minute or whatever it might be, and um, so they make those hard decisions you know and sometimes there's really good stuff, on the cutting room floor it just doesn't fit or sometimes that happens in the in the editing process sometimes that happens in the scripting, I had. Uh, I'd have really funny and great scenes that I thought were great, but really funny stuff in, in some of the scripts. And you just, the editor or the script consultant would just be like, ah, it's really funny, but I mean, it doesn't serve the story. It's not moving us forward. It's just, be, it's just being funny for the sake of it. And you've got gags, other gags that are moving the story forward. So it's just a very delicate balance. And uh, yeah, you know, it's that uh, it's, it's, it's age question. Will it make the boat go faster? I think is the, the analogy that people <laughs> use for it. Like, uh, like if yeah. you're not, you know, you have to, even though you can have nice moments of just character revelation, it's like, yeah, is it telling us something about the character and is it moving the story forward? Yeah. And yeah, you can, I'm not one of these people like, if you watch my show, it's not plot, 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 plot. There are times where you're just sitting with the characters and being, but it's also kind of built in a way where it's it's revealing loads without you even realizing it. You know, you're taking it in who people are. There's looks. There's certain things, and you know, are they always telling the truth? Are they not? So there's different things like that. So, uh, and sometimes you get it right, and sometimes you get it wrong. I mean, I personally would have liked to 
Much more a Bobby and much more the therapist. Uh, <laughs> that's certainly Bobby and the therapist as well. Like, I, it doesn't surprise me to say that you, you know, you probably shot seven, eight minutes worth of a scene there, and you know, the majority of it was cut because it, it kind of that scene kind of did kind of abruptly end. Even even your character in Kin, like, it was a really good character. And was it maybe two or three episodes? I think it was just two. A funny story about that. Well, I think it's funny. So uh, <laughs> I had a main brothers or whatever, right? And they went, oh, look, you didn't get the part, but it was, we're going for a very different look. They were all kind of, I mean, if people probably don't know what I look like, but I'm sort of traditional Irish pudding head, fair, blonde going on ginger. You know? <laughs> they went for like handsome, dark haired, tall lads. You know what I mean? And uh <clears throat> with sallow skin and uh but i knew the casting team and i knew the director he'd been one of my kind of main directors on red rock where i kind of had a leading role for a while so he was like oh, i really love to have you in it uh there's a couple of days this part it's, it's not massive but you have a couple of scenes with claire dunn who was the lead female in it and i always think you look at something and you say to yourself all right look uh at least there's a couple of good scenes with a lead actor of the show so you can bounce off them and they could be good scenes and uh, so my character was called Noli and he was you know he was sorting them out with dodgy cars so the couple of scenes mm. were horror and the whole thing is my character early on like episode two or three is found dead he's been shot and this is a catalyst for other stuff going wrong for the, the crime family but I remember uh, someone yeah someone had tweeted after the show ah sad to see that Noli Noli got clipped. Interesting character could have gone somewhere. And I thought to myself, well, look, you know, small part, but you make an impact. That's great. And like next of all, I look back and there was a reply to that going, just watch the episode. Who the fuck was Noli? <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah, so uh which I thought was hilarious. Um love it. Yeah, like all you can do is, you know, when you're if you're an actor and you're coming in, sometimes it's harder to do in some ways now. sometimes it's harder to come in for a day or two and do it or do a couple of scenes in something than it is to be the lead actor yeah now that sounds like it's totally should be totally wrong and in many ways it's not in many ways it's much easier but you're coming in the crew don't know you they just want to be getting onto their time you don't have loads of time to get it right all you're there is to kind of just stay out of people's way know your shit get the scene done and get out of there. So you're, you're helping them not get, not get caught behind because, you know, uh, film sets and TV sets, you know, everything's running on time and everything goes, goes late and you just want to get in and get out and know your stuff and, and go like I did a, a day on a, on a film there <clears throat> last week with a couple of like pretty much A-listers are in this and it's just really the two of them for most of the movie, mostly set in a car. And then at the end, there's a couple of detectives or whatever. And the same thing, you're just like, you almost felt the pressure of do not fucking hang around here and, and mess this day up for these yeah. fucking movie stars. So, um, the rest of that, but I enjoy it. Yeah, you go in and you kind of, uh, yeah, you go in and you just you do your bit and you hope that, uh, that it's but realistic. it's, I think as well, though, like, it's, I think, I think it's testament that of your, your, you're so good at your craft. I mean, I even went to see, I went to see your one man show, uh, David Bowie, and you played multiple characters. You played scenes, you're like, you're on your own. You're playing multiple characters and <clears throat> you're setting the scene in a studio. I'm in the studio with you with those four physical people, but you're actually only doing it yourself. You're in the pub, you're in the, like, 
I was in I was in that pub at the talent contest at that one man show for David Bowie, and I was you know that way I was get like, yeah, you're a brilliant actor. So that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> I think that was the, well, the whole point of me saying about you know your you you were sub, supporting role, um, and you wanted to see more. I think it's testament to how good you are at your craft. Very much, yeah. I mean, and the theater thing is that I mean like good writing helps and that was a really well written piece by Eugene O'Brien and uh, and yeah it's just I've, look I've done theatre for now over half my life and uh, and pretty regular as well um, like that show actually that was the longest gap I'd had since I became an actor at 18 of not doing a show uh, which was, had been two years but pre-COVID the longest I hadn't been on a stage doing some sort of show was like two months in like wow. years or something so uh yeah i always say to people like i'm quite a, a confident and you know personable and i like people i'm quite a social person in in my normal life Um, like i'm not shy or anything i'd be quite extrovert but like my safe place is on stage in front of a live audience like really it's different it's different level of comfort it's different level of i'm in a safe bubble where nothing can nothing can get to me Whereas some people, like uh, my partner, is she's a dentist, and the idea of her having to fucking speak to anyone in public <laughs> or get in front of a crowd or something would be a nightmare. She knows I'm doing a one-man show. She's seen the show before, and she'd come to it, and in the back of her head, she'd be going, he's not going to drag me up on stage, is he? You know, <laughs> level of irrational fear. Whereas for me, it's like, oh, once I'm in front of an audience, once I'm performing, I'm, I'm safe. This is great. I'm in control. So, and you know, you know that one man uh, show with, with the sorry, uh, what was the David Bowie show called again? I was called Falling to Earth. Falling to Earth, one man show about David Bowie's visit to Ireland, um, and in an intimate setting in the Civic Theatre. It's so intimate. Is nobody going to from the crowd going to put put you off? No, because we even had a guy and who there was a woman who fainted one night. There was a guy who had a coffin fit. And then he wanted to come back in and it was right before a big moment. I said, oh, come on in. Because my character had license because he was talking to the audience sort of every now and again. He'd break the fourth wall. So I was able to be like, you know, oh, come on in, come on in, come back, come back. So, uh, yeah, no, there's not a whole lot that can that can happen. Like, just random things can happen. I mean, we've had uh, over the years, God, guide dogs barking at certain things. And, um, you know, well, just, it's live theater. It's, it's kind of the brilliance of it, you know. Um, we had a woman I had a projectile vomit in the show <clears throat> in a Beauty's Cafe Theatre I was doing a two-hander that I'd written as well called From Eden and a oh, very yes. very delicate sensitive and kind of beautiful little show and it was about 10 minutes from the end and uh, we just heard noises and then all of a sudden our kind of tech guy had to come up and say sorry sorry can we can we st- I have to, gonna have to stop the show lights up so we left the stage and a few minutes later, we were told we could come back on and we started where we left off. And then all of a sudden, the, a woman in the audience interrupted us. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Look, it was very noisy for the previous five minutes. Can you go back a bit further? <laughs> and we what did. did you do there? And, uh, and we just went back and said, yeah, no problem. And we just went back and started it like another. I went, would we go from this? Yeah. And we just did it. And bizarrely, uh, it was one of the biggest receptions that we got at the end of, of that play because that actually this speaks to my point what you were saying about imagining everything 
that's the beauty of of trusting the process in the theater when you're an actor is that I know that the audience are doing so much of the work. I can I can sort of tell an audience member anything and and they'll go with it and I can stop and be Stephen for a second if I need to. And then once I start up again, your, your imagination, your suspension of disbelief just kicks in. It was like uh, in a show before I had a show that I'd written. This is actually the one I was mentioned earlier with, with Peter Coonan that got us that part in the film. And it was about adults playing kids. We were all playing 12-year-olds in, in a housing estate. And people bought, bought that straight away. And the other thing they bought, which was never questioned, was that we had a ladder that was painted brown and green. And that was that was the tree that this character, Leper, was always in. Leper, you're always in that leading tree. No one ever once said the ladder in the audience or anything, you know, or, you know, anyone that wrote about it. No one ever said ladder. They just said tree. Because on the stage, if, you, if I tell you it's a tree, it's a tree. And yeah. so it's a beautiful power. That's why I love theatre, because it's that immediacy of connection and there's that imagination. I Like Mero saw me in a show where it was me on my own, in a black box with a very little set, a couple of boxes. And there was a whole world of this lonely guy in Offaly who got to meet his hero and kind of fucked it all up. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm working hard and there's skill and, you know, we, we, the director and me work on it and you need good writing. But at the same time, the audience is part of that. They're doing a lot of the work, you know, it's like when you watch a difficult, movie or you read a, a really good novel, you know, like, you're rewarded for your work. What's beautiful about the theater is you go and you watch, and if you pay enough attention, you know you're, you're you you see you see everything. It's great. Do you? It's like the it's like the scene in the David Bowie thing where you're waking up in the bed after a few points, and <clears throat> I have the image of when I used to say I don't drink that much anymore, but say on a Sunday morning or hungover, I had the image of my room in bits, you know, waking up and. You know, and, and you were literally just lying on a, a, a shelf, like. Yeah. And I yeah. had the I had the pillows in my head. I had the duvet. I had the, the, the shoes on the ground, the jacket, you know, just the mental. It was it was brilliant. Very, with, small, with small images. But like, that's the that's the beauty of the craft. It's like it's it's how I move. It's how I sound. It's what I do to block the, the sunlight that's not coming through the window. But that yeah. I'm telling you is. And once I show you that image, then you are seeing the other five images that I'm not showing you. Yeah. I mean, if I show you the, if I show you one thing that's familiar, your brain goes, like, you know, here's the other things. It's like I did a short movie, tiny little part. I was really helping a housemate out. But there was a really interesting premise in it. Uh, it was called I Can't See You Anymore. And it was about a guy who was having an affair with this kind of, you know, bombshell, a kind of uh, thing. And she gets, he says, look, I can't see it anymore. I have to end it. I'm not leaving my wife. This is over. And she, she was kind of like a femme fatale. So she loses the head and she picks him up on a rainy night in the car under the premise of, I just want to see you one more time. But the whole thing is that she's going at 90 miles an hour and drives the car off a fucking cliff. So she dies and he ends up in hospital. But the whole thing is that he has this condition, which apparently really exists, uh, where he's blind <clears throat> but he doesn't know he's blind. And so he's seeing everything. And the doctor is going to him, no, you're only seeing your wife because of what you know, what she looks like. And he's like, describe me. And he describes the doctor and the camera pans around. It's a totally different looking guy. He's just pieced together this hospital room and this doctor based on images he has yeah. from movies and different things. And like, he's like, look, in two or three days, your eyes will 
your brain will tell your eyes that you're actually blind or whatever it was. And I just thought that was interesting. But yeah, that's how I feel about audiences in the theater when with minimalist kind of sets and shows. It's like it's like you're seeing all these things that aren't there just because I've I've given you a little nudge towards them, you know. Mm. Uh, that's why I love the theater. It's just even I'm an actor, I know how it all works, and yet I can still like fool the wrong word, but I can still, yeah, I can still fall for for the magic. I can still go to a cinema and, you know, be in tears at the end of a movie. Uh, even though I know how the actors have done it and how the writer has done it, you know, it's a part. It's like a kid. It's like being at a magician show. You're part, you're in on the manipulation. You want to be fooled. Yeah. 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 That's a great way of putting it because in fairness, it's uh, it is one of those things. Like we all know it's, you know, 70 minutes, 90 minutes of make-believe, but, but we're there to to go along on the journey. We're there because we want to be part of that make-believe, you know? It's also real as well. It's a weird thing. I always say, like, this is for an audience and an actor. And I'm talking mostly about stage, I guess, because you're getting that reaction. Uh, so multiple things are happening in my brain when I'm performing a show. Hmm. On one hand, I'm in, I'm in total control of, like, technique and timing and rhythm um, where the audience are laughing and when I need to pick up the pace and change my vocal range and you know all these different things and on the other hand I'm physically really living whatever whatever's happening because otherwise you couldn't you couldn't cry and you couldn't like I had in that play that Graham saw you know there was a lot of emotional kind of moments about his dad and just his life and regret and who was he and you know and heartache and just loneliness so I'm living that the same every night, but I'm also actually sort of living it. Yeah. To the point where I only found out a few years ago, I remember uh, I did a play which had done really well. It, like, like you've been in the Abbey and then went to Edinburgh and won an award and went to London. And uh, it was about this parent-teacher meeting that goes wrong. And I played this kind of working-class guy and his marriage was ending. But I also played his nine-year-old son at the same time in the same play. Uh and the guy was just really angry. And people remember for being a powerful play, but they also remember for being really funny. But the thing about it was, every time I did that play, like people close to me would say, you get really, you're not yourself when you do that play. It really, really, really affected me. And I didn't even realize it. Hmm. And it was only after talking to the therapist then afterwards, they were like, you know, people in your job, like you're, you're taking on that stuff all the time. And yeah. like the better, the better you get at your job, the more you're internalizing all these things. So anger that I would have in a show or emotion <clears throat> or grief or something, I might not have experienced that exact thing that I'm portraying, but the feeling of it is real and trying to summon those feelings are real. Or it might be, it might be like, I might be, let's say, mourning the loss of a parent in a show, but I could be getting to that place emotionally thinking of, a relationship that's ended or some other trauma with my parents or so, something. And so you're physically actually going through it. Yeah. So yeah, it actually, yeah. actually is quite a, it's something that you have to be aware of in my job that, you know, uh, these things are emotionally taxing as well as physical. It's not just, yeah, sometimes, yeah. sometimes it's getting up on a stage and you're doing a bit and you leave it behind and you go home and it doesn't affect you at all. And then you get certain parts that are like, Oh Jesus! Like you know, why am I depressed for two weeks after, and I, I don't suffer from that? Why am I? Why am I anxious or down or tetchy or angry? 
for a couple of weeks doing that show or after the show, it's because my body is is going through something, and it's so very it's, interesting thing. It is. It's fascinating because I mean, like, and I'm sure we've all done it. That thing where you like, you know, something as innocent as like, you know, in a relationship or something like that, where you're all you half you're half pretending to be mad over something, but it suddenly escalates into then you actually are mad, and you don't know where you are. It's just because you've been doing that thing. You're like. No, 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 fuck off. And then suddenly it snowballs into something a little bit more. It's kind of similar to that, but obviously just on the, the acting stage. But it's it's fascinating as you're saying that because it, it kind of, in a clunky segue, it kind of makes my brain jump towards people who do like the method acting and stuff like that, where they're, they're living at 24-7 in the process. And I'm always kind of fascinated by those guys. And I know probably the most famous one, Daniel Day-Lewis, but like, have you ever worked with anybody who's that, way or they, they do method or anything like that and like what's your thoughts on that sort of process and <clears throat> uh, no i've never worked with anybody really i don't think who would be like that um my thoughts on it are sort of it's sort of whatever whatever works for the person there might be certain roles i do where i wouldn't say it'd be method acting but i'd certainly be uh leaning more on that side than I would on a different part. It's it's roll to roll for me. There's certain right. parts you walk in and you just you, you you throw the costume on and you do the voice and that's it. And then there's other things that might be uh maybe if it's maybe if it's something that's not quite you, if it's if it's a million miles from you, you want to you want to do something. And it, it can be small things like uh in the in the in the play that Mero saw is playing a guy who's from Tullamore. Hmm. I would have went down there a couple of times. And kind yeah. of setting, I don't, I don't drink, so I would have sat in pubs, and I would have had me lunch, and I would have interacted with locals, and I would have got chatting to them, and I would have, I would have taped a few people talking just so I could get the accent a little Jesus, bit better. It's an awful accent, Jesus, it's an awful yeah. accent. Yeah, so <clears throat> that you know, just that type of thing. Or I might, I might wear a certain jacket that I would never wear in my life, but that would be a good costume jacket. I might wear that for a week before the show to see how it feels. Do you know, like <clears throat> I think Daniel Day Lewis, the one is quite kind of legendary, but I think he's so that sort of seems to fit his personality. Whenever I, you know, mm. the little bit you see him do interviews, he's so mild mannered and kind of, you know, mildly eccentric and a bit aloof and in his own. So for him, I imagine that he is. I like you know, there's 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 just being talented, and then there's being a, then there's genius. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. And you know, like I mean, you know, not everybody can just go. Oh well, I I live as Daniel Plainview for three months, and I'll produce that performance. Like it's just not going to happen. Like he's a, it's a once in a lifetime type of thing. Like, yeah, you, and there's there's probably a certain amount of people who'll get away with making people call him Mister President George Nelson of Lincoln. You know, like I just love those kind of stories as well, where he just wouldn't respond to people. You know, unless they were just the main character and stuff, but. It's but fascinating. Like, the people who will get away, the people not get away with it, but the people who 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 will do it. He pr- he probably didn't like talking about it too much. Like mm-hmm. there's people who do it because it's kind of it's it, they think it's fashionable or something. It's like I don't know. There's certain there's certain things. It, it, it either works for some people or it doesn't. I wouldn't be yeah. like because I I don't naturally do it. I'm not going to do it because. You know, oh, I heard De Niro and and yeah, Dan- yeah. it's like something that will naturally happen for certain roles, um, and there's a well, I mean, there's lots of people who who think it's 
you know, what's the famous thing, of course, is, you know, just, just try acting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's, there's a lot more to like, that's because I'm, I'm fascinated by some of the stuff you're saying there, because it's like, it, 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 stripping it down to its most kind of ignorant level almost feels as though it's just kind of like, you, you're just learning lines and repeating them when you're on stage kind of thing. But there, what you were talking about, like the preparation, even as something as like, going down to Tullamore for a couple of days, like recording those conversations so you get the nuance of the accent, you know what I mean? Like little things like that. It's a lot Brilliant. more than just being able to recite fucking lines like you did in your leaving circle Shakespeare plays, you know what I mean? Well, it's, it is, it is. It, there's a lot There's a lot of little things to it and every, every little does help. Again, it depends on what you're doing and a lot of the things go in subconsciously. Like, you know, I know what an Irish rural town looks like i've toured through them all but i I never spent time in that town so yeah. i went to the bars that the character scott would have went into and so you know as as mero <laughs> said there, when he's watching it and he's imagining this pub well i'm i'm walking in and i can i know that exact pub that i'm in now whether that actually helps my performance or not i don't know but if it makes me believe that it yeah, does, absolutely it will um so yeah like there's there's loads of little extra interesting things like that i mean <laughs> One thing I find interesting about actors is that, like, uh, a lot of them are drawing on past stuff. It was like that show inside the actor's studio. Like, a lot of yeah. the top actors, a lot of them are from uh, kind of divorced homes, broken homes, or single parents, and, and well. stuff like that. Um, I was nearly in that position, but see, my dad, you won't mind me talking about this because he talked about himself. My dad is an alcoholic who hasn't, who hasn't drank in 26 or 27 years and then went back to college and became a therapist and really helped a lot of people with those similar issues. Amazing. You know, but I would know even like, even though I have my like dad's one of my best friends, you know, and I got on great with him and him and my mom were still together. Even in the, in this, in the show, Meryl saw <clears throat> that father and son relationship, even though me and my dad's relationship is different and was different. He stopped drinking when I was 12. I'm drawing on that. Yeah. As this third, as a twelve-year-old, year old man, you know what I mean. So you're going through that because in that in that show, even though he's a man and he's talking to his dad, who has he was a drinking problem, and they don't get on. In those scenes, he's thirty odd, my character, but he's really a twelve-year-old boy. Yeah, yeah, that's you fascinating. Know? Yeah, the psychology what is yeah. The psychology to it and what you've just like you, we've taken far too much of your time now, but I just felt that the conversation was so fascinating and enlightening, and uh, it, it, yeah. it's well, it's well, it was great. Mentioned it before, like you mentioned, like uh, <laughs> the Shawn Michaels and Marty Janetti, yeah. So <laughs> that's actually deep, deep, deep down, probably the reason why I, I am an actor. I lived in my imagination with my little wrestling that. figure doing voices and doing like storylines when I was a little kid. And uh, do you remember the wrestling documentary, which if any of you people didn't like pro wrestling when they were younger or whatever. Wrestling with Shadows. Beyond the, beyond oh, the, beyond the Mat. Well, there was a thing in Beyond the Mat that I'll never forget. And I went, ah, oh, that's what it is. It was when Jake the Snake was talking and he was talking about the psychology of performance. And he was going, every single thing I do counts. He goes, yeah. the way I walk out, the way I look at people, the way I use my hands, the way I use my hair, how I get into the ring, how I get out of the ring. That's what I have in my mind as a theatre actor. Well, how do I open the door when I come in? How do I leave? How do I take my jacket off? How do I look at people? How do I pause? How do I laugh? How do I walk? 
how do I tie my shoelaces? Every single thing is giving the audience information about a real person in front of them. That's not me. Yeah. Fucking hell. You know what I mean? Like professional wrestling is theater like. Yeah, it's theater. Of course it's theater. Yeah, it's theater. Yeah. It's soap opera for adults and well no kids, I guess, as well. But I mean, I remember I was obviously the attitude era, and that's yeah. what it was. It was just it's just a show, it's just theater, it's just you know, uh, that's it's just so drama. It's, it's it's like it's the same thing. You know, when I get on that stage, I'm an actor, you can read a program note about me. You know, that's what people I don't people never understood about pro wrestling, isn't it? That's always the thing. But but it's fake, and you're going, No, you're you're watching theater. Yeah. And we'll still we'll still be in shock when Brock Lesnar beats The Undertaker. What? <laughs> you know? We'll it is I, I remember like I remember that being like this is this is like watching a Eugene O'Neill play. This is like watching, you know, this is fucking this is like watching the Greeks. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but but sure, but sure, there was yeah. there was a storyline last year with um Sami Zayn and, and, and the bloodline, and there was uh, like actors' critiques and stuff like that from America suggesting it should have been nominated for an Emmy. There was like the the whole the whole um the whole ending of that kind of storyline was in front of eighty thousand people or something like that. And it, it climaxed at this and the crowd reaction from the finale, so to speak, of the 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 heel, the, the bad guy turning to a good guy, having spent six, five to six months, you know, being t- in, in embroiled in a theater and a very funny, you know, breaking character. And then when this culminated in the, the bad guy turning good, fucking sensational. I don't know where you're going to get a live reaction such as Sami Zayn hitting Roman Reigns with a steel chair in his back. Yeah, and it's the oldest thing, the old double cross. They've been doing it forever, but it's that thing. It's like, you know, you watch how many cop shows or thrillers or any anything you watch. You see, like, there's nothing that new and you still go, huh? Like and that's the thing, the reaction even with Northern Lights, give another little plug here. Even with that, with people going, oh, at the yeah. end of an episode, uh, when it's not, it's shocking, but it's not. It's because you're invested in the story so much that any little deviation, any little thing that that throws it away from, you know, the good path, you just go, oh my god. Um, yeah. Well, that that's how I reacted to the, to the end of episode one of Northern Lights. I was like. Oh. And then at that moment of time, I did want to binge it. I did want to go straight this episode too. I had patience though. But I felt like that with um, season two of Kane, I thought was absolutely amazing. And after every... What's that? Even though I was in the early part, I still have to watch it. And people are like, that's just because they killed you. And I was like, yeah, but sure. No. (laughs) (laughs) I still have to watch it. I'm actually actually terrible for... um, uh, even though I'm an actor and writer, I'm I'm late to a lot of shows because I'm I'd be working on my own stuff and yeah. I do I I I, uh, I read a lot of novels as opposed to watching TV, mm-hmm. uh, it's weird. And then when I do watch TV, the last couple of years, especially yeah, watch TV, I'm I'm watching it with it with a kind of script writer's head on as well. So there's times where if I'm working on something like I am now, I can't be watching. I have to be when I'm totally yeah, not doing that. And then I can I can get into it again. 
So, With, yeah, uh, every episode of, of the season two of Kane, you're you're kind of going, <clears throat> it's so builds up tense and tense and tense. Anyway, we're going to leave it there. Uh, Northern Lights, TG Car, every Tuesday for the next six weeks at half 10 or from next Tuesday, you can catch all the episodes on the TG Car player. What's next? What's I read that you're developing season two. Yeah, it's in development. I'm. Uh, that's what I'm working on at the moment. Uh, like anything, it's a process. So there's no guarantees until you're actually there on set filming it. Uh, but yeah, I'm. I've written the treatment, which is the outline of of the story, and that's been approved. I wrote the first episode, and that went through its little draft, and that was approved. So, sort of towards the end of episode two now, of so there'll be another six. The storyline is all planned out. Uh, so it's just a case of writing it now, and then you need the usual stuff funding and blah 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 but the response has been has been really good and it's important that we kind of get irish people on it because next year it'll be out on germany's big channel and it'll be out in belgium and uh, australia and the uk and america so um Amazing. yeah hopefully hopefully it all goes ahead but yeah it's nice to have people watch it. and that's the other thing it's like you know we're being honest like tg car doesn't have as many watch viewers as rt would have so that's why, you know, it's it was important for me to kind of stress any time I'm doing it. Look, it's in English and it's, it's you know, it's there. The player is there. It's easy to use, you know, get on it. Um, so, yeah, like, hopefully, uh, hopefully it's just a start of this show because it's got, uh, there's life there. I really, I really, even though I'm in the fucking thing. Um, <laughs> even I though you're it. <laughs> I just think that there's an appetite for those stories. I mean, like the likes of Kane and Love, Hate and all that were great and their crime stories about gangs. Whereas this is, uh, even though I love that and I was in them, it's like this is this is about people who, 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 it, it could be you. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's just, it's just regular people with jobs and lives and, and, uh, and it's about how mad stuff happens to actually all of us. If we were to really go i mean you've asked me what's next as well i have an idea for uh something i'm going to do next year i don't know whether it's a podcast series or it's a documentary or what but next year is my 20 year school reunion and so i've gone to a few people from my school and just been like i'd love to do a little show or something artistic around a reunion like who were we 20 years ago who are we now what's happened and i actually look at the list of people and their stories and i mean every single thing that you could think of for a human drama has happened to my school year. Mm. Wow. Um, marriages, kids, divorces, uh, death, uh, you know, um, immigration, uh, whatever, whatever it is, interesting stories, mad stuff happening, affairs, <laughs> uh, <laughs> one, a, a pro wrestler, uh, you know, an actor, people, other mad jobs. Um, yeah, like just loads of little things, like, you know, a real microcosm of, of Irish society in the last 20 years. So, um, so yeah, that's what I'm interested in. That's what I'm You're always thinking. Always, yeah, always thinking. And then I've got that show on the Civic on, on a Sunday, December 17th, which I think would be a really kind of cool little pre-Christmas night with a few songs and stories. Everything from, you know, uh, kind of old Dubliners ballads to everything from that to Alice in Chains and Damo Dempsey and, and yeah. then stories and poems and mad stuff. So if anyone's interested, they should pop along to that. Deadly. Well... I'll be seeing you next season home and away and hopefully we can get a good stint in Europe again um, yeah. but Jonesy it's been absolutely brilliant chatting to you um, and I'm delighted with the success of Northern Lights and I'm looking forward to finishing it and uh, thanks so much for your time 
Pleasure, boys. Pleasure. And, um, Thank you. Sorry for waffling on for so long, but look, that's what happens when you invite an actor on. It was a fascinating and detailed chat, man. I loved it. And uh, yeah, as Mero said, all the best best with uh, what comes next and looking forward to getting stuck into Northern Lights now. Lovely. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate it. Big thank you to Jonesy there. Great chat. Fascinating. Fascinating. Love it. I really enjoyed it. And um, wanted to keep him for like, we told him 35, 40 minutes, but hmm. the, the conversation was just so fascinating and I really enjoyed it. Um, so big thanks to Jonesy there and everyone get watching Northern Lights uh, first episode was really good I'm off now to get a sandwich and watch the uh, second episode and Dan I think you are actually going to like it I, I've no doubt that I will and I'm looking forward to it. I am going to wait until all six episodes are available and I'll, I'll be yeah because that's what you do that's what I do and uh, for anyone there who uh, has sat through that hour interview and they're still scratching their head and saying was it Ricky Sprager that took over Roy Keane? It was indeed Ricky Sprager that took <laughs> over Roy Keane. Uh, as caretaker manager following Roy Keane's departure from Sunderland on 4th of December 2008. I, deadly. I, lo- I loved in the interview as well how we brought up wrestling. And, yeah, uh, same. How, same. How the drama of it. And another storyline that I loved that uh, just popped into my head as we're talking and we're doing the outro to this uh, episode 301 of What's the Story podcast. Do you remember the drama of Mark Henry retiring in a salmon shirt, a salmon blazer. One of the fucking best. 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 And then oh. he just turned baddie against John Cena. That was absolutely hilarious. Absolutely um, amazing. And the reactions, like we were saying, it's live theater. When you get a big reaction like that, you know it works. But uh, it, yeah, it that was, was a great interview. Really enjoyed it. It, it was, it was. And you've just that Mark Henry piece. I'm going to watch that now again this evening. Uh, it's what I do. That was, Mark Henry had some great role. Remember the Hall of Pain, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, the Hall, Hall of Pain. Pain. Oh, do you remember man. his entrance music? And the lad sang it live on SmackDown one night. No. Somebody going to get your ass. Oh, yeah, yeah. Somebody going to get your ass. Rick it up, break it down, break it up, break it down. It's That's... what I do. That's me now going on to Spotify to listen to the to the WWF WWE Volume Ten, the Jim the Jim Johnson anthology. Yeah, brilliant. Right, uh, Dan, that was emotional uh, tonight. It was great, man. It was it was good good to see you again. And uh, sure, I'll be seeing you in person next week because we're on a little day. We are. We're going to second happens live at the National Stadium. One of my favorite. Irish podcasts. It'll be a, a delightful evening. Um, but until yeah. then, Mero, if people want to listen to this podcast, they can do so by searching WTS Pod on Spotify, on Stitcher, on Podbean Podcast, Attic Podcast Republic, anywhere, everywhere you can find a podcast will be there. He's at American Mania on the social media. I'm at Dan Joe Murray on the social media. And um, yeah, yeah. Uh, what did you sell at Cadbury's? The answer is Christmas puts and they're fucking sensational. So, deadly. <laughs> Until next time, Vero. Here it is. Full hearts. Can't lose. Bruce Sweet. Bruce Sweet.